Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. And whether you are tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side uh, at 104.9, or if you're tuning in via the live stream available to you on the ESPNTucson.com website, we do appreciate you tuning in. Uh, as I mentioned, we, we know that you have options uh, in the mornings of uh, where to spend your, uh, your time listening, and we do appreciate you lending us your ear. You can also uh, check out the podcast and listen, listen to the show at your leisure. And you can listen to that on the, uh, we have it on Audible, it's on the Apple Podcasts, it's on TuneIn, Stitcher, um, Amazon Music, just about anywhere you can get a, a podcast is where you'll find the Jeff Dean Show right here on ESPN Tucson. is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Spent a lot of the first hour discussing uh, local stuff. Now I want to talk some NFL. As you know, we talk NFL every single day here on the Jeff Dean Show. There is never a lax in that. Uh, you know, If there's a show in the morning that I'm hosting, we will be talking NFL. Just the way it goes. It's the king, and there's always things to talk about, even in the offseason when people think there's nothing happening. Always stuff to get into. The NFL preseason schedule opens tonight. The Hall of Fame game has the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Dallas Cowboys, and a matchup that I think is going to be a fun one to watch because both of these players are going to be playing in tonight's game, and we're going to get our first look at them in their pro uniforms. Now, I do a, I do a, a, a Big Jeff's Big Board every single year for the NFL Draft. It's just something that I've enjoyed doing over the last 15 years or so. Um, I just, with as much college football as I watch, I just love putting together what I feel are the best 51 players in a draft in a given year. And in this past season's draft for the 2021 NFL draft, my number four overall rated player was a linebacker by the name of Micah Parsons out of Penn State. And my number seven overall rated player was a running back out of Alabama named Najee Harris. Now, I love Najee Harris. I think Najee Harris is one of the most incredible athletes and one of the most incredible players in this particular draft class. I had him rated at seven because I do weigh importance of position into the mold, which is why I had some quarterbacks rated higher and also uh, Panay Sewell rated a little bit higher than him as well. But tonight, those two are going to come into what we hope is a head-to-head clash, hopefully not head-to-head, a shoulder-pad-to-shoulder-pad clash on the field as Najee Harris will be running the football for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Micah Parsons playing linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. One of the interesting things, and, and look, this guy, Micah Parsons, it, watching him at Penn State, they it was almost like we've seen it before for Arizona basketball, okay? We've seen players play, for, play at Arizona up close and personal. You're like, this guy shouldn't be here. Like, no reason why this guy should be here playing college basketball. I remember having a conversation with Sean Miller specifically about Lowry Markinen, and we just we were just laughing, shaking our heads, like he shouldn't be here. He should be in the NBA. Like you look at his body, you look at his game. He's an NBA player right now. It's not like he's wasting his time. He's getting a valuable lesson in college in college basketball on his time. But it's like it's <laughs> it's silly. And we had the same conversations about DeAndre Ayton, 
just it, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. I, th- I felt the same way about Micah Parsons watching him at Penn State because James Franklin and his defensive staff, quite honestly, didn't know what to do with him because Micah Parsons, we, we, we know who Isaiah Simmons is, okay? Been in the league a couple of years with the Arizona Cardinals, was like the Swiss Army defensive back for the Clemson Tigers during their championship run. Okay, and, and they're, you know, obviously all the, the successes they've had. But on Brent Venable's defense, Isaiah Simmons played everywhere. When I went to the Fiesta Bowl, I specifically watched Isaiah Simmons and logged every single, and this is the kind of nerd that I am. This is what you're dealing with, people, okay? <laughs> Trust me, I'm sick. There's something wrong with me. I logged every single defensive play in that game, aside from the ones that I missed when I was walking down to the field in the fourth quarter. The... The defensive plays that Isaiah, where Isaiah Simmons lined up on the defense, he lined up in nine different positions in that game, outside of the two defensive tackle spots. Uh, he lined up every, in every other position on the field. He played, uh, he played boundary. He played off corner. He played strong. He played free. He played inside. He played strong. He played weak. He played rush edge. He played. Uh, uh, basically the edge that's the 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 uh, defensive end that sets the edge in the running game he played every single position in the game except for defensive tackle now he's good and he's 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 learning his way in the NFL he's a little bit undersized i think and it, it's it's going to be a situation where the cardinals are going to find ways to fit him in they've got a very very smart defensive staff and they'll figure out something micah parsons it was a lot like that at Penn State, but it was a situation where you're watching him and you're just like, dude, like, where do you just send him out there and just go, just go get the ball? <laughs> it's like it's like in the replacements when Gene Hackman goes up to John Favreau's character and is like, go get me the ball, go get me the ball, Danny, I'll get you the ball, you go get me the ball, and he goes and just runs and gets the ball. Like, like Micah Parsons is that talented, is that good? Where it at the college level. It was basically like, just go line up on the end and just wreak havoc in the backfield. There's, there's no discipline because you're so good and the competition you're playing has no idea how to deal with you. Just go out there and wreak havoc in the backfield. Well, now you get to the NFL, and there are offensive coordinators who are going to make life a living nightmare for Micah Parsons. And Dan Quinn, the new defensive coordinator at Dallas, has to figure out just what in the hell to do with Micah Parsons because, again, he's so good – and so universal, what do you do with this guy? He's remarkable. And we're going to get to see him play tonight. And I just, I, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to watching him on the field because he just, where are they going to line him up? Are they going to play, is he going to play weak side linebacker? Is he going to play Sam? Is he going to play Savage? Is he going to play Rover? Are they going to line him up on defensive end? Which side are they going to put him up? Are they going to line him up against a left tackle or a right tackle? Are they going to put him in a seven or a nine technique? Do they rush him on blitzes from the inside? We, we know that he won't play middle linebacker. Okay, he's not a Mike, but he can play He can play Will. He can play Sam. He can play Savage in, in the 3-4 the scheme. Okay? He can also play safety. He can cover tight ends and running backs in man and in zone in the, uh, coming out of the backfield and off the line of scrimmage. He's, he does it all, and he is a remarkable talent, and we're going to get to see that tonight uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. And on the other side of the ball, on offense for Pittsburgh Steelers, my opinion, the best running back to come out of the, the draft in several years in Najee Harris, 
who, again, I had rated as number seven overall player in this draft. He went number 24 to the Steelers, which was a huge get for them because they, they certainly needed a running back. They were the worst rushing team in the NFL last year. Najee Harris, he, he does everything that a running back, you expect out of a running back, and he does it at an NFL level. He's been doing it at an NFL level. He did it for the last two seasons for Nick Saban in Alabama. He is an exceptional uh, runner of the football, of course. He takes care of the ball. He secures the football. He's able to hurdle over tacklers. He can, he, he's elusive enough to where he can uh, spin out of, uh, you know, out of harm's way against linebackers and corners and safeties that come up to stop the run. He's strong enough to run over those edge guys that aren't prepared and aren't ready to, to break down on a tackle like a kid uh, like Najee Harris is. He's great out of the backfield. He's got soft hands. I think he dropped five passes in his time in Alabama, which is remarkable for a running back. He's got great vision. He's got good patience. He's a good blocker on, in, in pass protection. So when you go max pro, you can rely on him to stay back. If, the, if no blitzer comes, you've got an extra receiver coming out for your quarterback to dump off to. He's, he's going to make a lot of big differences in the Pittsburgh offense this year. They're going to need him. You know, their offensive line is in rebuilding mode. They've got an aging quarterback with a dead arm. Uh, and the receiver outside of Juju, the receiver class isn't, uh, isn't too great at Pittsburgh. So they're going to be relying on Najee Harris a lot. And I, I can't wait to see those two collide on the field tonight because they are two of the best players, two of the best rookies in the NFL this year. And I think if, if I were to have if, – if I were to make a prediction for who I think is going to win offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year, it's those two guys. Like those are the two guys that I would expect to, to play up to their level. Um, you know, essentially be the best at, 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 on that side of the ball. Uh, for the rookie class this year. Now, granted, a quarterback will probably win it. Zach Wilson, who's projected to have the starting job, although there are some grumblings coming out of New York that they may look to trade for Nick Foles. I don't know how that's going to work out for them, but, um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, But Zach Wilson expected to start there. There's also some thoughts, you know, of course, that, that Trey Lance may win the starting job in San Francisco as... John Lynch and and uh, and Kyle Shanahan have been playing some um, some gamesmanship games that Jed Fish doesn't partake in, but they've been doing a little gamesmanship, talking up Jimmy G, saying this is the best they've ever seen him. He's throwing the ball as well as anyone ever has. And I heard an interview yesterday with Jimmy Johnson, the great Jimmy Johnson. He'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame, which we're going to talk about here momentarily. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was talking about his first year in Dallas and was talking about you know, they, they got uh, Steve Walsh, who won a national championship with Jimmy Johnson at Miami. Okay, quarterback Steve Walsh was on the team, on the Cowboys, uh, when, uh, when, when he took over. They drafted Troy Aikman. Okay, in camp, Jimmy Johnson was talking, and this is Jimmy Johnson talk. Jimmy Johnson was talking a huge game about Steve Walsh. Steve Walsh just picked up right where he left off from Miami. He's at a championship level. He's performing as well as I've ever seen him before. He's throwing darts out there. He's hitting receivers. He's making all the proper reads. And bam, they trade him. They got a first, a second, and a third-round pick for Steve Walsh. And then the rest is history. We all know what happened after that. Troy Aikman is the rookie starting quarterback in Dallas. Had struggles the first year. Got sacked a million times in his first season uh, in, in, the, uh, in the NFL. And then they used all those draft picks to build an empire around him. And, again, we all know what happens next. So, listen, when you hear a coach 
talking up one of the quarterbacks, and they've got a rookie they traded up for. Like, they traded a lot of assets to go and move up to the number three spot to draft Trey Lance. I wouldn't be surprised if San Francisco is quietly talking with other teams right now or if other teams just start inquiring. Because as we get closer to the season, coaches who thought they were good at the quarterback position are all of a sudden going, oh, boy, oh, boy, we're not, we, we don't look so good here. Things aren't looking so great. What, what's, what's available? Call, call the Niners. See, if, see, if they want to, see what they want for Jimmy G. They got Trey Lance there. See what they want for Jimmy G. They said he's been playing really good. They said he's fully recovered. <laughs> if you believe what coaches and GMs are saying about their players in training camp, then you are the fool. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But it all kicks off tonight, the Hall of Fame game in Canton, and uh, super excited for the season to begin because this now marks the beginning of the next, I don't even know how many, how many weeks it is, all the way through to, what, January 30th, where we have at least one college football game or one pro football game every single week. And, you know, many of, many of those weeks are going to be chock full of dozens and dozens of games. So super excited about that. There are some really, really worthy players being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this weekend. Let's, let's first discuss the, the 2021 class, okay? Or the 2020 class, rather, I'm sorry. The 2020 class, which did not get to have their enshrinement last year, um, but you know, they'll be having it this year. They're going to do it on Saturday, and then Sunday is the 2021 class. The 2020 class, I think people have forgotten about who these guys are. Uh, who these guys are, the fact that they're they're going to be involved. Jimmy Johnson being one of them, of course, he got the call to uh, to Canton um, last year. Steve Atwater, the safety, of course, brilliant safety for the Denver Broncos, um, he's going to be enshrined on Saturday. Isaac Bruce, who's one of the one of the most productive wide receivers in the history of the NFL, he's going to be enshrined. Steve Hutchinson, one of the greatest interior linemen to ever play the game, going to get his day in Canton. Edron James, who if a lot of people are like, Edron James, really? Go look at his numbers. Like, just go look at his numbers compared to other running backs. His numbers are sick. Like, they are off the charts. Of course, he played, you know, he had a nice career with Indy. And, of course, here in the uh, in Arizona for a few years with the Cardinals. Troy Polamalu, great safety. We all know Troy. Uh, one, of the, one of the better players in his position in history. And then the, in the Centennial class, because they had a, uh, a Centennial team go in, uh, Harold Carmichael, wide receiver from the Eagles. He played uh, in the 70s and early 80s with the Eagles. Um, Jimbo Covert, the of course the you know from the Chicago Bears, one of the uh, one of the stout uh, players that the that the Bears had during their of course their their big seasons. He played for them for for eight years. Safety Bobby Dillon from the 1950s in Green Bay. Cliff Harris, uh, many Cowboys fans remember him. Great safety for the Cowboys. Winston Hill, who was a tackle for the uh, the Jets and the Rams in the 60s and 70s. Alex Karras, who obviously became very popular for his uh, television uh, career after he retired from the NFL. Of course, the great uh, Detroit Lions defensive tackle from the 50s and the 60s. Donnie Schell, the safety from the Steelers in the 70s and 80s, was there forever, it seems like. Um, He's going to be enshrined. Duke Slater, who played in the 1920s. Uh, another guy from the 1940s, a guy named Max Speedy, cool name, 
by the way. Uh, Ed Sprinkle, who Chicago Bears fans know very, very well, uh, basically like the best defensive player of the era from the 40s and the 50s. Head coach Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson will also be enshrined. And one of the most important people in current-day NFL for the, the status that the NFL is in, Steve Sable, the administrator, president, founder of NFL Films. He will be enshrined into the Hall of Fame, of course, posthumously, uh, Steve did, did you know did pass away, but uh, his the legacy that he leaves behind is one of the most important in NFL history. I mean, it was certainly one of the most influential legacies you know that I've that I came across in my life. I have or had, I should say, I, I don't know, maybe twelve to fifteen of those VHS tapes of NFL's hardest hits, NFL's greatest hits, the the. You know, the, the greatest plays in NFL history, NFL's bloopers, bleeps, and bundles. I mean, it, all of those. I had so many of those. I wore those tapes out, wore them out. And then, of course, all of the great production that went into the NFL films. They, they really dug into the history of the NFL, you know, everything. You know, they got, uh, they got the greatest voice people in the world to do all the narrations for them. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a staple of the of the 70s, 80s, 90s and the early 2000s, NFL films is one of the biggest contributing factors to why the NFL is the juggernaut that it is today. Because so importantly, they were able to market the game in very very small increments in very inter- in very intimate ways because they were able to mic up players, they had mics on the sidelines. We all hear the coaches Screaming! I, I mean, I can remember so many different quotes from the coaches over the years, the things that they said to their players, things that they said to the officials, things that players said, little interviews on the sideline. Players saw the camera and saw the microphone, decided they wanted to say something funny. These are things that all stuck with the NFL and reasons why we feel so connected to the NFL in its, in its past. And as we were growing up and watching these things, it's all because of NFL films. When you talk about... I had this conversation years ago on the air, um, and we, we were ta- We had a. It was like a two-day discussion that we had. Um, I had a co-host at the time, and we even had the guy who was our lead in show stick around because he wanted to stick around for the conversation. So we had like this huge, big roundtable discussion. It lasted two days. The most influential inventions, or you know, things that happened in the history of sports, and we came down to a few things uh, being you know so incredibly influential. And I just stuck to my guns, and I said I think that NFL Films is the most influential thing to happen in sports because it changed everything. It gave us access that we never had before. It gave fans access to a game that many of us couldn't even watch on TV. We, you know, a lot of, because of television contracts and stuff, baseball was king, okay? Baseball was on TV Every, you know, every day, every weekend, you'd watch baseball, the game of the week, and Mel Allen and all this other stuff. I mean, you'd, you'd see it all, right? Football was like you listened to it on the radio or you had to go to the game. But when NFL Films came around, they opened up everything, the visuals, and showed you what a, not only what a precision and complicated game the NFL was, but also how vicious and how, rec- you know, it just, it, it, it it, you know, it gave a lot of people insight into everything that the NFL is, that the game of football is, at a very high rate of speed and high collision. 
and physicality. And it also showed some of the funny sides, the bloopers. You know, the, you, you, I, I can still hear Gene Stallings, former head coach of the of the Cardinals, okay? And he's like, some, one time we snapped a ball at a right angle. I don't know how we accomplished that. And there's a funny little blooper going along with it. Neil Lomax chasing the ball down the field because the, the center spike, threw the ball so far in a different direction from where it was supposed to go. Only the Cardinals could be. You know, I can hear all these things. And NFL Films was was the, 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 the you know the reason for that. And Steve Sable, um, unfortunately, posthumously going to be getting his day in Canton. But uh, certainly, in my opinion, not only one of the most important and influential people in the NFL's history, but also in the history of all sports. Absolutely incredible uh, what that did for for people for 50 years that he was at the helm of NFL Films. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Coming up after the break, we will talk about this year's NFL Hall of Fame class, and I have my top five players not in the Hall of Fame. That's next. Come on back here to the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, let's do it. We're going to take caller number three at 520-719-1490. 520-719-1490. That is the number. Caller number three going to win themselves a pair of tickets to go see FC Tucson host North Texas SC this Saturday night at Keno North Stadium. Game starts at 7 p.m. Gates open at 6. Call now, 719-1490. You could be the winner of a pair of tickets to go see some soccer, some football. Good luck. So, the 2020 class uh, was was announced. Obviously, we, we we spoke about that. The 2021 class. Uh, like I'm not kidding. Like there are, there are five. There are sometimes we look at this list, and maybe we don't know who the who the players are. You know, I just I rattled off a bunch of names from the from the 2020 class, the Centennial class. A lot of people don't know who those guys are, even though as great as. Ed Sprinkle was in his time with the Chicago Bears in 19, you know, just post-World War II NFL. Um, people don't know who he is. You can't relate to how we saw him play on the field. So a lot of times these situations are where the, the Hall of Fame class are like, oh, I, I, okay, sure, you know, why, I, I take the NFL's word for it. This year's class is like, oh, yeah, oh, 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 yes. I mean, you look at the names of these guys, one, two, three, four, five, six players, and you're just like, dude, like, like five of those guys can be considered for the greatest at their position all time. When you have your, name me the top five quarterbacks, name me the top five running backs, okay? So here's the, here's the induction list for the 2021 class, one of the greatest gatherings of, uh, of Hall of Fame inductees that I, I've, I can remember in recent history. Okay, we're going to start with, uh, a contributor by the name of Bill Nunn. We'll get these out of the way. Bill Nunn, a contributor who's you know being put into the, the hall for the things that he contributed to the NFL. Won't get into that right now. Coach Tom Flores, okay, coach, coach with the Raiders for a long time. Very, very successful coach was Tom Flores. Finally getting his day uh, in the in the enshrinement uh, category, or in the enshrinement at, uh, at uh, Canton. Here's the list of players that are going to be inducted. Drew Pearson, of course, wide receiver, 
from the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to be part of the, uh, of the the veterans class, essentially, a guy who wasn't a, uh, a, a you know an early inductee, essentially, into the into the Hall of Fame. Okay, Drew Pearson certainly earned it. One of the great receivers of his era, and one of the greatest Dallas Cowboy receivers of all time. Here's the rest of the class: Alan Fanica, okay, like all everything guard for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, uh, just an incredible player. Also played for the Cardinals for a, for a minute too. Okay. Alan Fanica, largely considered one of the greatest guards uh, ever to play the game, and uh, dude missed one game in his entire career. One. He played 16 seasons, I think it was. He played a lot, maybe 14. Anyway, dude missed one game at the guard position in his career. Okay? John Lynch, safety John Lynch, of course, member of the uh, of the, the the Buccaneers and their run to the championship, and also the Denver Broncos. Playing a lot of big games. Many people consider him to be the most cerebral player at his position ever. Hard to disagree with that. Um, also, just one of those guys, like, when, if, you've ever, if you've ever spoken to a former player or a former coach about John Lynch, the people that played with him, played against him, coached him, they will all tell you the same thing. Like, they all go, oh, dude. Like, they, they'll, they, they will stop the conversation to talk about what a great person John Lynch was, is, and how integral he was to the chemistry and cohesion of the entire football team. Like, John Lynch is, when you when you talk about guys who makes everyone better on the team, there are very few people that are mentioned more highly than John Lynch. John Lynch was the guy, you put him on a 53-man roster, immediately all 52 other players are better players because he was just such a force of influence on everybody and set it by example. He wasn't the, the guy that would get in front of a room and do the rah-rah speeches and talk to everybody like that. Okay, John Lynch led by example, and that's the reason why he's one of the most popular players amongst coaches, players that played with him in the history of the NFL. Like people, everybody, I've never talked to anyone who had anything bad to say about John Lynch. Okay. So he's going to be in this class. Charles Woodson, maybe one of the greatest, maybe certainly in the conversation for greatest defensive back ever. Charles Woodson, he's in the class. Okay? Now let's throw throw a couple more bombs on there, a couple more logs on the fire. Calvin Johnson, the wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, played nine seasons in Detroit, nine in the NFL. Of course, maybe maybe the one thing, maybe this is the one thing that sticks out about about. Calvin Johnson in his career for me, and it's not by his fault, nothing that he did, is the reason we have this cockamamie uh, misunderstanding of what a catch is in the NFL. Because of the game in opening opening week, Detroit Lions are in Chicago, 2010, okay? Calvin Johnson makes an amazing catch, jumps over two defenders to catch the ball because he was just that amazing. Jumps over two defenders to catch the ball in the corner of the end zone, Lions win, right? Or they at least they take the lead with just a moment left on the clock. I think there was like 30 seconds left on the clock, something like that. Okay. He lands both feet inbounds. Okay. And, and we're, when I say inbounds, I mean he's like six feet inbounds. It's not even close. Okay. Both feet inbounds. Knee hits the ground. Butt hits the ground. Hand hits the ground. Elbow, arm, forearm hits the ground. And as he's going to stand up, let's go of the ball. 
to celebrate this game-winning touchdown or potential game-winning touchdown. The officials then decide to review this and overturn the play, saying that he did not not control the ball all the way through the catch. When everybody on planet Earth that has watched more than two minutes of football could tell you that's a legal catch. Unfortunately, that's, that's followed Calvin Johnson for his career. It's not even anything that he did. He was amazing at make the play, and it followed him around. The one thing I remember, the other thing I remember about Calvin Johnson goes back to his times at Georgia Tech. Calvin Johnson was going from his junior season to his senior season at Georgia Tech, and some student stringer was asking him some questions in his, like, $5 Radio Shack microphone uh, down there in Atlanta and asked him the question, what's, what's one thing that you would like to improve uh, from your junior season to your senior season? He says, well, uh, this is Calvin Johnson's answer. He said, he said I, I'd, like to, I'd like to work on, you know, drop balls. I, 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 need to, I need to shore up the drop balls. And you can hear, like, papers, like, rustling. You can hear the kid, like, shuffling through his papers looking for stuff. And he goes, he goes well, you, you dropped two passes last year. And Calvin Johnson looked at him and he goes, well, that's two passes I should have caught. Like that's that's the kind of guy Calvin Johnson was. Physically, uh, the most gifted wide receiver I have ever seen in my entire life. I've been watching this game a long time. And Terrell Owens, of course, physically gifted. Randy Moss, amazing, ridiculous athletic gifts. Did Randy Moss, his running and leaping ability. Calvin Johnson was an absolute freak. He had the most incredible catch radius. He had gigantic hands that could just go snatch the ball out of the air. He was incredible. He had incredible speed, leaping ability. He was strong. He was smart. He was a great route runner. Technically, when you when you look at what a wide receiver should look like, if you were like say, give me uh, Chris Carter's hands and Jerry Rice's head and all this other stuff, I people say build the best wide receiver. I go give me Calvin Johnson. Yeah, he didn't put up the numbers that some of the other guys that are already in the hall in front of him put up. And you know, part of that he only played nine seasons. He played in Detroit. For nine seasons, okay? Uh, let's not fault him for that. He's one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. And finally, Omaha himself, Peyton Manning, going to be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame this weekend. When you have a discussion of greatest quarterbacks of all time, if you neglect to mention Peyton Manning, um, it's because you don't know what you're talking about. You have no reason to be in the conversation anymore. If you choose five other quarterbacks in history over mentioning Peyton Manning for one of the best five quarterbacks of all time, if you have if you have had that conversation and neglected to mention Peyton Manning, you are now stricken from those conversations. You do not you are not allowed to have those conversations any longer. Period. End of story. Okay. So when you look at this, this is one of the best classes of all time. Alan Fanica considered one of the greatest guards of all time. Calvin Johnson, incredible wide receiver. John Lynch. At his position, Charles Woodson, just ridiculous uh, player at his position. Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. That's your class going in on Sunday. Now, after the break, I'm going to discuss the the best five players still remaining, the best five guys out there that have not been enshrined. I have my top five, and yes, it may be a little biased, but we'll just go with it. With school just around the corner, we want to help you and the student in your life get the supplies they need to succeed here at ESPN Tucson. We're giving you the chance to win that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. Just a few days remaining. You can uh, register once per day through August 9th. Go to ESPNTucson.com. More after this, it's the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. 
back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Congratulations to David Langley. David Langley was our third caller and won the tickets to go see FC Tucson. Check himself out some football this weekend, this Saturday night at Kino North. Enjoy the game, David. Thank you for listening, and uh, enjoy. So I mentioned I'm going to give my top five players not in the Hall of Fame. And I'll start at the bottom. I'll work my way to the top. But these are these are my picks of the top five. I was I was going through this morning just kind of thinking it over, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, who's, who's not, like, trying to decide who's not in the Hall of Fame. It took me a little while to find some of these guys because I couldn't remember if they had made it or not, some of these names that uh, uh, some of the older players that I thought maybe have gotten in. But lo and behold, they have not. So here's my top five, okay? Number five, and I have, I have criteria that basically, it's the same criteria that I have for all Hall of Fames. Were you one of the most dominant players at your position for the time that you played? I do not compare eras. I am not into comparing players of today with, I don't compare Shohei Otani with Babe Ruth. Okay? It's, it's silly to do that. Okay? Were you the most dominant player, one of the most dominant players in your time, or did you do something just so incredible during your time that made you one of the most valuable players to your team? And, and therefore, that's, that's kind of like my criteria, okay? We can, we can spot greatness, right? We know greatness when we see it. We've got a good enough eye for that. My, my number five player, and he look, he will get in. He's just not in yet, and it's ridiculous that he hasn't gotten in yet because he was, without question, the best player at his position. If um, There's some argument there, okay? I'm biased on this particular player. I think he's the best player at his position during the time that he played. He played eight seasons for the San Francisco 49ers linebacker Patrick Willis. He he was a uh, he was a Pro Bowl player every single year in the NFL. Every year he played, he was a Pro Bowler, including five first team All Pros. He was a member of, or he is a member of the NFL's All 2010s team. He led the NFL in tackles twice. And he's the, the biggest reason the 49ers were successful on defense. He brought the attitude. He's one of the single best tacklers I've ever encountered in a, in a, in a, you know, in a football uniform. And I think that although he will have his day in Canton, he hasn't had it yet. And that, to me, is a slight to, to Patrick Willis. My number four player is a guy who I've actually had some great conversations with. We had a conversation the day before he won the Super Bowl MVP award. <laughs> And we had talked about it, we were joking about it, and lo and behold, Duke goes out and wins the MVP in the Super Bowl. I'm talking about Heinz Ward, wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, played his entire career in Pittsburgh, as many players do, because it's the most loyal franchise in all of sports. Played 13 seasons with the Steelers. He's the Steelers' all-time leader in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. He is eighth all-time in postseason yards. And he won... He got four, was it four or five Pro Bowls I think he went to? And he did it all with, I mean, God, some of the time just absolute garbage at quarterback. Tommy Maddox and Cordell Stewart. And don't don't at me about Slash, okay? Cordell Stewart was a garbage quarterback. Of course, then started winning some more games when Ben Roethlisberger came into the fold. Had a great career with Ben Roethlisberger. But the first, first half of his career was with garbage. And he won the MVP in 2005. 
uh, MVP in the in the Super Bowl in 2005. He and I had a conversation the day before, literally the day before. I talked to him, and I said, hey, if you win the MVP award, I need a shout-out. And he laughed, and then he got, <laughs> he got the MVP award, and guess what I got? Nothing. So that's why Heinz Ward is number four on my list and not number one. Still owes me that shout-out. Number three on my list of top five players not in the Hall of Fame. Um, this is going to, if, if we have any Denver Broncos fans listening out there, you're going to start, you're going to turn up your radio, you're going to start screaming, yes, I can hear the screams now from the Denver Bronco faithful living in Tucson or tuning into the show right now, wherever you may be. Randy Gratishar, linebacker for the Denver Broncos, played for the Broncos in the 70s and the 80s. He's one of the greatest Denver Broncos players in history. And here's the, here's the thing about Gratishar. He, people have been banging on Gratishar to get into the Hall of Fame for, for decades. Now, his num- I, you can't confirm his statistics because they didn't keep tackling statistics when he played. Okay, he played in he, he was he was inducted to uh, or, uh, basically, you know, given six Pro Bowls. He was honored with six Pro Bowls. He was an all pro in 1977. The Orange Crush defense was one of the best defenses in the uh, in the era of the 70s. The great defenses, of course, the Steel Curtain and Doomsday and all that. The Purple People Eaters. Orange Crush was right up there. OK, he got an all pro. It was a first team, first team Pro Bowler, all that stuff. OK. The, the most amazing thing about Randy Gratishar, he played 10 years in the NFL, 10 years all with the Denver Broncos. According to the Denver Broncos, he is credited with more than 2,000 tackles in his career. Think about that. Now, he played a couple of seasons where the NFL was still playing 14-game seasons, okay? He played a, a couple of those. So that's more then 200 tackles a year, okay, if my math is correct, 2,000 tackles, 10 years, 200 tackles a year, and several of those years were 14-game seasons. Like, what in God's name? Like, was he just a giant vacuum cleaner? I did not get a chance to see Randy Gratishar play. I didn't start really watching the NFL until the 49ers won their first Super Bowl in 1982. That was essentially the first game that I watched. I was six years old. Sat down to watch the Super Bowl with my family. Became a 49er fan, and the rest is history. Um, so I didn't get to watch Gratishar play because he retired in 83. But 2,000 tackles in his career, that's more than 200 a season. That would be by far and away leading the NFL in tackles to, in this day and age, which is ridiculous. Number two on my list of top five players, not in the Hall of Fame, Joe Jacoby, offensive lineman uh, for the for the Washington Redskins. I mean, member of the Hogs. He's one of the only members not in the Hall of Fame. He played his entire 13-year career in Washington. Um, they went to they won Super Bowls. He's a member of the NFL's all-1980s team. I can't understand why he is not in the Hall of Fame. If you're a member of an all-decade team, you're obviously one of the most dominant players at your position. Joe Jacoby played both guard positions and tackle positions. Uh, certainly one of the most dominant players of his era, Joe Jacoby needs to be in. He's my number two. And number one, and again, I put him number one because, yes, maybe I am a little biased because I grew up watching and idolizing this guy, but he broke the mold when it came to running backs. He was the first running back 
to have 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving in the same season. He is also a member of the all-1980s team. He went to the Pro Bowl five times, and he was an integral part of the 49ers' run in the 80s. Roger Craig running back for the for the 49ers. Look, he's, he's as good as it gets. He won three Super Bowl championships with the 49ers. He was just a remarkable player. And I had to I, – look, I don't engage in arguments very often on Twitter because it's pointless, right? I mean, it's just, it's just stupid to do that. I don't even engage. Roger Craig – it was Roger Craig's birthday several weeks ago. And the 49ers Twitter tweeted out, hey, you know, happy birthday to the most, uh, you know, deserving player to be in the Hall of Fame, yada, yada, yada. And some doofus commented on there, fumbler. Just put fumbler on there. Because he had one bad game. One bad game. A guy who has fewer career fumbles than the top ten running backs in the history of the NFL. This guy wanted to call him fumbler. So I went at him. I let this guy have it. Look, Roger Craig, one of the best players of the 1980s, absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I hope that one day he does get his day in Canton before it's too late. All right, so there's my top five players not in the Hall of Fame. If you agree, if you disagree, feel free to uh, to at me. We can have a discussion on Twitter. Again, no no arguments. I mean, we can have a discussion that has arguing factors to it, but no name-calling, no, no need to be rude, okay? Feel free to at me, at UAZ Voice. That's at UAZ Voice on Twitter. Give me your top five players not in the Hall of Fame. Do you agree? Patrick Willis, Heinz Ward, Randy Gratishart, Joe Jacoby, Roger Craig should all be in the Hall of Fame, amongst others. Look, I, you know, uh, Reggie Wayne was, was close to my list. Uh, uh, Tory Holt is another really good one, um, a really good player that uh, that didn't make it hasn't made it to the Hall of Fame yet. Sam Mills, a great linebacker, of course, for the New Orleans Saints back in the day. Um, you know, a lot of great players not in the Hall of Fame. Give me your five at UAZ Voice. We're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll put a big, bright red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. You're listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, a few things happening here before we get out of here. Uh, Major League Baseball has finally revealed the stadium and the uniforms for next week's, and this is really cool, by the way, the Field of Dreams game between the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox is going to be held in Dyersville, Iowa including designs that were inspired by the early 1900s. This is going to be the first game ever played in the state of Iowa, first Major League Baseball game ever played in the uh, in the state of Iowa. It's going to take place next Thursday. Now, it was originally supposed to be played last year, but obviously because of the C word, we weren't allowed to have any fun. So uh, they extended it out to this year, and look, this is going to be cool. They've got they've released some of the uh, like the jerseys, what the uniforms are going to look like. The, uh, the White Sox are going to be wearing – uh, like an off-white uni with navy, uh, navy, navy lettering. Um, it's a socks and a logo with the interlo- interlocking S O X on there, and they'll also have pinstriped hats without a logo. And the Yankees are going to wear their knit grays with navy blue New York written across the front, um, and just a number on the back with no other accent. So it's good. they're going to go plain Jane, early 1900s look. It's going to be really cool. Now, the feature of the field is going to be the best part. It's a nod to old Comiskey. The bullpens are going to be in dead center beyond the trapezoidal outfield out there. Okay, um, 
They're going to have the cornfield that runs right up to the outfield fencing. There's going to be 12-foot-high corn stalks out there. Uh, Beyond right field is a corn maze in the shape of the MLB logo, which is between the field and then the original Field of Dreams from the movie, of course, the Kevin Costner movie in 1989. Um, Again, the game's going to be played next Thursday. That's really cool. Can't wait for that. Um, I actually have a friend on the White Sox. Maybe I'll give him a call and see if they want to come on and talk about that or if they have someone that wants to come on and talk about it. Also, finally, RG3 is going to be joining ESPN's broadcast booth this year. And now ESPN is saying it's the longtime NFL quarterback. Oh, I don't know about what they consider a longtime NFL quarterback, but nonetheless, a guy who played in the NFL for a couple of years is going to be joining uh, ESPN's uh, broadcast service. He'll call college football games this season and may also contribute to the uh, network's NFL coverage, reports Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports. So even though he still has a desire to play, the 31-year-old backup quarterback who spent last season with the Baltimore Ravens is going to be now moving on to the booth. And again, we, we, we know that the booth isn't the, the end of the road for, for everyone. There have been players who have been like, yeah, I'm going to go to the TV booth. Nope, this sucks. I'm going back to the field and play some football. <laughs> I don't know if it, that's going to be RG3, but hey, nonetheless, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to think about uh, those kinds of things. Maybe he'll make a little comeback in the NFL. He's a fun player to watch. All right, God, show's over already. My goodness, that was quick. We talked a lot of football, had a lot of fun today, talked some Wildcats. I didn't even get a chance to talk about Arizona basketball announcing their 2021 non-conference schedule. I guess we'll get into that tomorrow, amongst other things. Once again, thanks to David Langley for winning the uh, the tickets. Congratulations to you. And, of course, thanks to Mary behind the glass for all her hard work on the show, keeping all the buttons pressed to keep us on the air. I'll be in studio tomorrow. I'll be in Tucson. And I hope to see you guys at the practices on Friday and Saturday morning at Arizona. Stay tuned for Spears Ali at 3 o'clock. I'll see you guys tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. right here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM ESPN, Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.